Being Australian, we've heard the story of James Cook exploring the eastern coast of Australia since we were in primary school. In the last few years, though, he's become a controversial figure as a symbol for all that was wrong with the imperialist ways of the 18th century Europe. But who was this man? Where did he come from? Why do we know his name more than any other explorer of the Pacific? And why is his death just as well known as his life? I know I'd only heard about 10% of his story, so let's find out the rest this week on Cheeky Tales. You're going to come in as hot this week as I did last week? Nah, I'm not. No? Nah, boy, I'm not coming in as hot as you last week. Uh, I feel like you're kind of expecting it, so it'll just happen one week. (laughs) Just one week you'll swear (laughs) viciously at me as we begin. Yep. What do you know of Mr. James Cook? Captain James Cook. Well, he was a captain. Yeah. Greatest captain. I oh, no, it's pirate. Best pirate I've ever seen. No. Um, Did you know he wasn't a captain when he explored Australia? No, I didn't. Mm. He was, was only a lieutenant. Mm, okay. Mm. Uh, he was on the Endeavour. That is he, correct. He brought it over and landed in 1770 mm-hmm. at what was known now as 1770. Not first, but yeah. Oh, no. Botany Bay. Yeah, Botany Bay. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first settlement. Yeah. The first landing of Australia was 1770, at 1770. And then he was the captain of the first, like, settlements to come over in Botany Bay, right? No? Nope. There you go. Australian (laughs) history. Don't know it. We did Australian uh, English history last episode. Now we're doing Australian history this episode. And that's what I said in that episode. We don't really get taught much Australian history. Mm. I mean, you do, but, like, they don't really go in depth in it. They're just like, do a story on it. Cool. All right. Move on. Um, yeah, but turns out um, if you're not Australian, James Cook did a hell of a lot more than just, you know, sidle up the side of the eastern seaboard of Australia and take a look-see. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, he did a lot more than that. Um, and this episode is a suggestion from Jazz, one of our most loyal listeners. She's listened to every episode so far. It's been mentioned a few times that it was coming. Yeah. It has arrived. It has arrived much in all of its like, nine-page glory. Much like the Endeavour did on the eastern coast of Australia. It, it has did. arrived. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, I guess let's get Kraken, boy. Kraken as in the sea monster or? Yeah. Because is that a reference? Or? No. Okay. Oh, well, raise the anchor, hoist the sails, boys. Let's get going. <laughs> let's, let's go. <laughs> get in those winds. Ship shop the main poop deck. I don't know something along some nautical terms. Ship shop the main poop deck. Yep, that's that's what they Those say. Those are not words that are said on a ship. Poop yes, deck is. is, but not ship shop. Yep, ship shape shop. So John, uh, nautical expert for mm-hmm. this episode, <laughs> we'll cut to him for any nautical themed words we need. The big vast outside the port bow. I don't know. Come on, let's go. The port bow. Yep. There is only one bow on a ship. There's no starboard bow. Port of the bow. How far back does the bow... Anyway, we're going way into ship. Well, which one's the front and which one's the back? The bow's the front. Yeah. The stern is the rear. Yeah. And the port is the right and starboard's the left. Yeah. No. No red port left. So red port left. That's right. That was from a previous episode. The beginning. James Cook's early life. Mm. Was he born to a a mum and a dad? He was. Yeah. The wee little Jimmy was born on 7th of November, 1728, to parents James and Grace Cook. Oh, we're not going to have double up names this week, are we? <laughs> As he, aside from his dad, there's yeah. no other James. Okay. And there's only one Grace. How many Catherines? No Catherines. <laughs> we are Catherine-free on this show this week. Okay. So, any Catherines listening, I'm sorry, but- What about Henrys? Any Henrys? No Henrys. 
There's very few names, actually. Okay. It's a lot of just like, they went here, he yep. did this. All right. Mm. He was the second of eight children and the family lived in Martin, Yorkshire, in England. What were the other seven children's names? They were all James. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even the girls? Yep. Okay. Jimette. <laughs> What's the female version of James? Uh, Jane. I guess. Jane James. I don't know. Anyway. Martin was a very poor area at the time, and the, fam- the family survived on James' single income as a farm labourer. That's James Sr., not the baby, living modestly in a mud cottage. When James was six, James Sr. was offered a permanent position working in Airy Home in North Yorkshire. And so the family moved to the estate of Lord Thomas Scottell. In a mud cottage. Yes. So a cottage made out of mud. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, I knew that. Big old brown hut. You know, that's kind of where the term dirt poor comes from. Yeah. you dirt poor, you rocked up and you had like dirt for a floor. Yeah. You were dirt poor. Yeah. Scotto. <laughs> Just uh, English, English, English literary major John Savage. <laughs> History facts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this guy's name differently every time because it's spelled S-K-O-T-T-O-W-E. S what S K S K O yeah Scott double T Scott O W E O W Scott L Scott O Scott L Scotty was a progressive thinker for the time and took a personal interest in the welfare of those who worked for him. Very strange for a wealthy person mm. in the 1700s to give a crap. He had become impressed by James Senior's work ethic and farm knowledge, and very quickly promoted him to lead hand on the farm. James Junior also impressed Lord Scotty with his behaviour, aptitude and intelligence. And so Scotty would pay for his schooling and even arranged for his first apprenticeship when he turned 16. Just how weird that is, yeah. I don't think you can understand for even Top now. Bloke. Great bloke. Like, imagine if your boss was like, Oi, John, I'm going to pay for Williams University. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, boss. Cook would move to the fishing town of Staithes on the English coast when he turned 16, working for grocer and haberdasher William Sanderson. It would be here that young Mr. Cook would hear the call of the sea. What, 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 what does the sea sound like when it calls to someone, boy? <laughs> Fish. <laughs> Drowning. <laughs> Whoa, dark. That got dark. It did a bit, didn't it? Mm. But that's the reality of the sea, boy. Mm. If you hear the call, you're probably going to drown. Oh, okay. While undoubtedly a good opportunity, Cook didn't particularly love the long hours and social isolation that the job brought. So just to be clear, he was a grocer. So it was like, imagine if you worked in a corner store, Mm. but you were 16 and that was all you did for your entire life and even the people that you lived with didn't want to see you. That's what he was living in. Yeah, right. He was so bored that on his breaks, he would spend his time down at the docks watching fishermen and colliers loading their ships and setting sail. Sitting on the dock of the bay, watching... Time float away. What is that? It's a song. Obviously, but by who? Oh, I don't know. Was it by James Cook? No. Is James Cook the first rock star? No. Oh, you'd think I'd know. What's a collier, boy? Collier? Yeah. It's a type of dog. Nope. No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> collier is a uh, person who works on a boat that transports coal. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. James made numerous friends among the sailors over the time he spent at the docks and would hear their tales of the sea and fantasise about spending time at sea himself. Mm, chasing that mermaid tail. <laughs> Get that mermaid puss. <laughs> Rick and Morty reference. reference. <laughs> yeah, um, still G-rated. Mm. Um, 
Eventually, he would have Jack of his job at the grocer mm. and would request to be released from his apprenticeship from them. While Sanderson, his master, master and apprentice, yeah. trainer, whatever. Journeyman. While Sanderson was a hard man, he relented and introduced Cook to two of his friends, John and Henry Walker. That was John and Henry. There is a Henry in this story. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. He doesn't feature again. Okay. What was his dad's name? Henry? Probably. <laughs> John and Henry Walker owned and operated a collier ship. Mm. John Walker agreed to take on James, and his wife even insisted that a bedroom be made in their loft and that he eat with them as part of their family. So he had no social interaction. Now he's got a second family. Wow, just a bunch of really good people so far. I know. Like, I know that his story is like, oh, he came from, you know, living in a dirt hut. But every step of the way, nice people are like, come on in, have some free stuff. Walker would also enroll Cook in the local merchant sailor school where he would study algebra, geometry, trigonometry, navigation, and astronomy to qualify him to work in the merchant navy. Oh, you need all that to boat float on water. Yeah, boat float water. Go yep. wind? No red port left. Just Follow wind? Yep. No sink. Well, Interesting that there's no learning to swim there. What? Maybe the Titanic captain should have gone to that school. Probably. Got him. Get got a bit of a theme happening here, boy. Yeah, have I become the boat guy? Oh, no, I've done a boat one. I'm becoming the expedition and exploring guy. Yeah. This is your third expedition exploring. In a row, is it? Yes. South Pole, Everest, this one. Second boat story. So third podcast on, I'm assuming, a ship and sailing features heavily in this story. Yeah, it it does a bit. Mm. Yeah. It's not a footnote in his life. Boy, you need a new wheelhouse. Maybe I do. Get it, reference wheelhouse. Yeah. That's part of the boat. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Nice. Just had to make sure you got that. I'm thinking of doing an airship one. Because of my expert nautical knowledge. Uh, Hindenburg. No, but as soon as I said airship, I was like, oh, yeah, Hindenburg. Yeah. That'd be a good episode. Mm. Right into our socials, at Tells Pod on Facebook, social, uh, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, mm-hmm. if you would like to I, hear the, about the Hindenburg. At the Metaverse. Find us. Yeah. Find <laughs> us in the Metaverse. Uh, we've got big real estate. Mm. <laughs> Bought it with cheeky coin. NFTs coming soon. <laughs> NFTs definitely coming soon. Please invest. We could probably actually do that. Have an NFT for each episode, like one of the pictures or something. Yeah. That's Even though quite, we don't own the pictures. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, true. Do whatever you want. I'm sure you could draw a picture I, relating to- I could do that. Draw a picture every episode. Yeah. It's, it would get- And that's the NFT. They'd be so bad. That's, yeah, but the people would own it. Anyway, back to Mr. James Cook instead of NFTs. I don't know why we're talking about NFTs. Coming soon. It's the future, boy. Marketplace.com. According to the walkers, <laughs> let's just start shilling, you know? We still don't have a, pon- a sponsor. A, a sponsor. sponsor. Yeah. We don't have a Ponzi either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do we? No, wait, you don't want to have a, you don't want people to know that you've got a Ponzi scheme. Correct. Yeah, we don't have a Ponzi scheme. Correct. Wink. Um, according to the walkers, James was an exceptional student and was able to focus on tasks for an exceptional amount of time and was constantly pestering the two men for their knowledge. By the age of 21, James had finished his examinations and become an able seaman, entering the workforce as a fully trained man. I could see you smiling. Don't laugh at the word seaman. We're adults. I'm not smiling. There's no evidence. <laughs> he would begin working trade routes on the Baltic Sea, completing 16 journeys with no issue in the first six years of his career, and would be offered his first vessel command at the age of 27. This was a massive achievement for the young man. However, his eyes had begun to drift a little higher than his merchant seafaring trade could take him. He wanted to see the lands of the Pacific Ocean for himself, something that the merchant trade couldn't provide. 
He also wanted to make bank, which wasn't something you could do in the Merchant Navy. How did he know about the Pacific Seas? Is it like, was it rumours going around or like sailors coming back saying, I've been down here and seen this? So at this time, they were starting to explore the Pacific a bit more. Mm -hmm. So America's been sort of colonised at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, What's what's Hawaii doing? Nobody has been there yet. Mm, Okay. Um, That will come up. So he- yeah, he's hearing these stories about people exploring sort of like the eastern side of, sorry, the western side of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So like the East Indies, uh, so the the West Indies, the Dutch West Indies. Which is- Indonesia. Near, near Indonesia, yes. Yeah. Um, Australia has been found at this point, like okay. the western side. Yep. Um, so the Dutch had done all of the northern, western, southern, and Van Diemen's land, so Tasmania mm-hmm. by this point. So it was just the eastern side that hadn't been mapped uh, and New Zealand as well. Um, New Zealand had been found but hadn't been mapped mm-hmm. yet. So he's hearing about all this stuff and he's like- I want to do that. Yeah. I, I want to go and- a bit of cartography. I want to go and drink coconuts and do cartography, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you know what cartography is? Yes. Okay. It features heavily in James oh, Cook's story. Okay. Yeah. And also my dad's a draftsman. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. I got cartography is from Hayley. Okay. All right. John Savage, cartography expert. Stop doing the eyebrow thing. It's so off-putting. <laughs> Stop it, boy. As is the way with England at the time, the drums of Australia- <laughs> Yes. I found my new superpower and this is going to be happening so many times until he stops laughing He's at it. doing the eyebrows at me as I'm trying to talk. It's very difficult to do this story without looking at you, so that'll be fun. As is the way with England at the time, the drums of- I'm, I'm, I'm not even doing it now. I'm laughing thinking about it. <laughs> yes, this is it. This is, I've done it once. And it's, I've already burrowed into your head. This is amazing. I love it. You're welcome. You are welcome, Cheeky Towers listeners. Third time's the charm. As is the way with England at this time, the drums of war were beginning to be played and the seven years war with France was just on the horizon. Seeing the increase in Royal Navy activity at the time, Cook was able to see that the military offered him much greater avenue to success. And so he decided to make the switch from merchant to military despite the significant loss of rank, and begin his career in the Royal Navy as an able seaman, don't laugh, aboard HMS Eagle. So began the young man's rise to the top, again, from humble beginnings. Yeah, I see it. I'm immune now. His first job at sea with the Navy. (laughs) Just doing an eyebrow off now. What do you think so far, boy? Like, this- Pretty straightforward. Yeah, Yeah, I mean- Rising through, young young man in the- in the Navy, or started off, you know, and the merchants in the Navy. It's pretty straightforward. He's, yeah. um, he's done all right for himself so far. He's had some nice people help him out, so that's always... Yeah, handy. had a bit of a leg up, but yeah. smart little boy. Yeah. Getting his stuff. He's not little anymore. He's, what, 27? 27, now, yeah. yeah. Smart young man. Yeah. Not 30 yet. His first job at sea with the Navy. As Cook began his time on the HMS Eagle, it was clear that he stood well above the toothless, drunken rabble of the regular men aboard the ship. It was rare to come across someone who had any skill, and he started to move up the ranks. Cook's captains while aboard the Eagle were able to identify the talent he displayed. His second captain especially took the time to train him in more advanced techniques in navigation, weather, and wave patterns. So one thing I didn't realise is that waves act differently when you're near land. And I'm talking like hundreds of kilometres away from land. Um, The way that they knew that Australia existed originally was that the waves were different when they were coming along. And they're like, hang on a minute, these waves are weird. So, like, wave patterns can tell you where land is. 
It mm. kind of makes sense because closer to the land you are, the water's shallower, so that mm. would affect how a wave works. Yeah. Or operates or moves. Mm. Mm. Makes sense. Aaron Payne. Wave expert. Wave expert. Not really. By 1757, he had completed his master's examinations and was now qualified to navigate and handle a ship of the King's fleet. He was transferred to the HMS Sol Bay as master. So master of the ship is basically the guy that does all the work. So mm. he organises where they're going, navigation, um, organises the men on board, organises the food stores, organises everything that's going on. And everyone that works above him is basically just a rich toff who just kind of bought his way there. Yeah, as a title or something. Yeah. Yep. Um, at that time, quite unlikely to get a captain that actually knew what they were talking about. You were quite lucky if you got a captain who actually had any sort of mm. real skill in seamanship. Um, so, yeah, he had gotten to the height that you would expect a non-gentleman would achieve. Mm-hmm. So, for most that were from his sort of origin, this was the highest you'd ever get to. After his time aboard the HMS Sol Bay, Cook would be transferred to the HMS Pembroke during the Seven Years' War. He would see action in waters of Ca- uh, he would see action he would see action in waters off Canada as his ship was to join an invasion fleet at Halifax with the intent to blockade the St Lawrence River to capture the fortress of Louisbourg and then the city of Quebec. During the quas- the crossing <laughs> during the crossing during the crossing at Canada croissant. Quebec, the crossing, the Quebec crossing. It's funny because they were handled by French, mm. by the French, by the French at this point. Oh. So, so maybe they was to the crossing, the crossing. Get the croissants the, to the crossing. The croissant. Did croissants exist at this point? Oh, I'll have to. How old's croissants? I don't know. Croissant. Hey Google, when was the first croissant? No. I don't know how much of that's going to make it through, but that was way more information yeah. than I wanted. But we did find out that, no, no. croissants did not exist at the, the time. croissant did not exist. In- they- <laughs> I love that the <laughs> Google Home said croissant. Yeah, croissant. <laughs> Didn't exist until 1830. So yeah, there you go. go. They're relatively new. I love how most of our assumptions, like- Pastry facts. Yeah. We're getting a lot of uh, expertise out now. Yeah. I love how a lot of the stereotypes that we use now are from, like- the last 200 years. Yeah, not very old at all. Yeah. yeah. Like, when did baguettes... Okay, Google. <laughs> when were baguettes invented? No. When were baguettes invented? Well. No. No, thanks. 1920s. We, we missed the 100-year... Anniversary of the baguette. Birthday of the baguette. The baguette. Baguette? Baguette. It's baguette. Bag- no, baguette. <laughs> Big chunk of flame in the back. Bagway. I guess. I guess maybe there were like massive plans for the hit, like a big celebration of the hundred year anniversary of the baguette. COVID stopped. That. COVID ruined the baguette history. <laughs> Baguette's birthday. COVID takes COVID. another victim. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I would have loved baguette fest. Baguette fest twenty twenty. I would have been there. Yeah. Oh, man, what do you learn? Pastry facts. <laughs> As the quassing took weeks longer than expected. <laughs> they, didn't sorry, have, they didn't have any croissants. I'm a, I'm a sentence ahead. I just love saying quassing. During the quassing <laughs> from Britain, however, the ship moves slowly due to poor weather. As the crossing took weeks longer than expected, there were dwindling food supplies and the men on the ship began to be affected by scurvy, a disease that at the time wasn't understood. So we now know 
vitamin C deficiency. Yeah. Eat some veggies, eat some fresh food, you'll be right. Yeah. But back then they're like, how is this thing happening? By the time the ship made it to North America, there were barely enough men on board to sail it. Ooh. As he hadn't, well, a, enough able men. Most of them were down, oh. just like, Ugh. Yeah, okay. They weren't dead. Many they were, were just, dead. Oh, Many okay. were dead. But yeah, most were just like, Ugh. As he hadn't been affected, Cook was able to see that his, well, Cook was able to assume that his clean living might have saved him from catching scurvy. Over the coming voyages of his career, Cook would go to great lengths to understand and avoid scurvy amongst his men. More on that later. The siege of the river was eventually successful just before winter, and so the army and navy settled in for months of idleness at the mouth of the river. Sounds fun. Yeah. Basically, it just freezes up and then they always mm. have to sit around waiting. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I love the about war back then. Enemy boats are frozen a couple hundred meters away. Just, we'll get to you. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Literally, it's just like, they're like maybe a kilometer up the river mouth and they're like, there's nothing we can do. Guess we just wait. <laughs> wait for the ice yeah. to melt. Well, As he had been while working at the grocer in the fishing town of States, Cook would grow bored and spend time walking the water's edge. Here he met a Lieutenant Samuel Holland who had the job of charting the waters as the French had removed the guide boys from the river. So the French are gone. Here come the Brits. Let's get all of our guides out and let them crash against the rocks. Mm, okay. Holland informed Cook that maps of waters in this time were still drawn by eye and not using any of the surveying techniques of the day that the army were using on land. And so maps were vague and often inaccurate. So even though they've got surveying equipment, they're just like, there's a rock about 200 metres over there. There's a shoal about 150 over there. Nobody will ever need more detail than this. Mm. So quite often they were literally just like, uh, circles drawn on a map and like, don't go here. It's just, it, it is foreign to me to think that they didn't have maps. Yeah. It's something we've got, well, we've got it in our pocket really. Yeah. All the time. One thing reading this, that like even at this point, they were finding it difficult to know what longitude they're at. Yeah, right. Well, latitude. Yeah, one of, the, one of those things. Whichever one's the horizontal one. The one that we talked about a lot when we were doing the South Pole episode. Um, yeah, they didn't really know how to measure that. Mm. So they were just kind of like, we're somewhere in the ocean. <laughs> Holland wanted to use state-of-the-art techniques and Cook was interested in the fact that the techniques could be used on ships. Cook would report back on this information to his captain, who would immediately see the potential advantage of having this information to protect their ships and men from shoals and reefs. After meeting Holland for dinner on the HMS Pembroke, Cook would be given leave to work with Holland to learn cartographic trigonometry and he would soak in as much information as he could. Cook and Holland would go on to complete the most detailed maps of the area ever created at the time, which would go on to be used for the next 200 years. Ooh. So this is like into the 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. So World War One, they're still using some of the maps yes. that this bloke made. Pretty much probably in, all the way up until GPS. Yeah. Um, probably until radar, I'd say, mm. or oh, something yeah, like true. that. This would be the first time that his cartography skills would be on display. Additionally, he would spend the winter after the siege developing techniques for battling scurvy, including sourcing as much fresh food as much fresh food as he could, as it seemed this would stop the men getting it. He also got his men to bathe once a day, really strange for the time. Ooh, helpful. Exercise, wash their clothes and linen, and air their bunk out once a fortnight. This is like modern levels of cleanliness yeah. Yeah. for the 1700s. Yeah. yeah. As he was a commoner like the men, they followed his orders without much argument. This would repeat itself throughout his career, and he would find that his origins would make his ability to command men much easier. 
Fair enough. In touch with the common man. Yeah. Something that can't be said for me with my house full of smart home stuff. Oh, well, you above us common men, are I'm you? not saying I'm above. Yeah. I'm saying I've lost touch. You've lost touch. Okay. My life of not touching Bloody a single no. light switch. With your robot vacuum and- <laughs> That keeps eating power cords, can I say? you don't have a robot mower. Nah. I love the old manual nature of pushing an electric mower, a mm. normal mower around. Electric mower. I don't have an electric mower. <laughs> Boy, do I want to get my own mower, though. I was going to say, you don't have a mower. I love- Have <laughs> I, I told you about the I've got mower money thing at work? No. So, <laughs> so the other week, I was talking about how I'm borrowing your mower. Mm. Um, thank you, boy. Um, and I was like, I mean, I, 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 like, it's just an expense I didn't want. This mower broke. I didn't want to have to go out and buy a new mower. I could, though. And someone was like, are you bragging about being able to buy a mower? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got mower money. Mower money. I could walk into Bunnings and buy any <laughs> mower off the lot. And they're like, what about the ride-ons? And I'm like, even the ride-ons. <laughs> could you just buy any of those? I could ride. John? There's could, a few expensive ones in there. I could buy any mower. Mm, okay. Go to Bunnings. Mower money. I could pick out any mower. Fucking do it then. <laughs> <laughs> I got that mower money. <laughs> it's not exactly a brag that you're going to hear in a rap no. song, but yeah, um, that is the, I got mower money. Yeah. Okay. How did we get on that tangent? I don't know. Anyway. Because oh, you're out of touch with us common men. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, the bastard. common man can't buy a Toro. Mm. I could buy a Toro. You can buy a Husqvarna. Husqvarna. I can even say Husqvarna. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I didn't say it properly. Out of touch. Look at me. I'm so high and mighty with my mama buddy. <laughs> John's in touch with the common man, everyone. You can still yeah, listen to him. It's still relate to me. Still haven't raced that rat, though. Follow me because you haven't organised it. Oh, yeah, I did say I'd do that, didn't I? Or a rat's too beneath you to touch and organise. Look, I'm in touch enough to be able to organise a rat race with a human. <laughs> Possibly the most important thing that Cook would do while in the area of Quebec was actually to complete an astrological observation of a solar eclipse. While he had done this as a curiosity to compare against observations in England, he sent his work to a naval officer at home in England who was interested in such things. This led to his name and observations being published in the tracts of the Royal Society in 1767. This is now the first time that he gets international notoriety for his work. Notoriety? Notoriety is a good thing, isn't it? No, notoriety is usually the bad. Is it? Mm. <laughs> What's the good one? Famous. What are you can be a good notorious, can't you? I don't think so. He's notorious for his good volunteer work. Okay. Mm, doesn't really work, does it? Not really, does it? No. Whatever. He got fame. First voyage. So James Cook had three famous voyages. Yeah. Um, they were all the ones that he did his exploring on. Mm-hmm. We've now reached the point where the first one starts to come into the story. Okay. On what ship? The HMS Endeavour, boy. Oh, was it, were all three on the Endeavour? No. Oh, that's sad. Not really. Okay. I actually don't know what happened to the Endeavour. Um, isn't, isn't it sunk somewhere off the coast of Australia? No. Mate, no? All right. It made it back. Anyway. Keep going. I'm going to Google it. Okay. Love Googling. Now that the war had ended, Cook would find himself out of a job, as the Navy was stepped down and there would be less positions on offer. Luckily, an expedition was planned to complete several different scientific endeavours, namely charting the transit of Venus across the sun, exploring... Mm. Huh? Mm. Interesting. That's interesting. Mm. mm. Exploring the plants and animals of the recently discovered Tahitian Islands and attempting to discover Antarctica. That's a callback. 
That's a couple hundred years before they did it, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. It was, what, the 1890s, I think I said in the story? I don't know. Call back to one of our previous episodes. Go listen to the Antarctic one. It's classic. The Royal Society wanted to have one of their own to command the expedition, and a man named Joseph Banks was one of the leading advocates for the voyage. Banks was to be the scientist exploring the plants and animals of Tahiti and wanted to lead the expedition himself. The Navy, on the other hand, demanded that one of their naval officers would command any Royal Navy ship that would be part of the expedition, and so Banks decided that he would make a compromise. Advocating for a senior officer with navigational and cartographical experience, well, makes sense. But without the social standing that Banks had, he was a bit of a rich bitch. Mm. What, the one that can relate to common men? They're picking me over you. What? Huh? Which would allow Banks to effectively command them. Oh. Cook fit the bill, having his recent notoriety for his observations of the sun, mm. and would be given command of the voyage by the Royal Navy. So this Joseph Banks guy, he doesn't feature much in this story after this, but he was a bit of an asshole. So he was basically like, I want someone that I can manipulate because I'm going to be a more fancy boy. Mm. Um, and he basically treated this whole voyage like it was his own pleasure cruise. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. He just kept like going, he kept doing things that were incredibly dangerous and everyone's like, why are you doing that? And he's like, oh, we just don't want to go look at that plant. Yeah, right. And everyone's like, stop doing that. But Yeah. The HMS Endeavour would be chosen as the vessel for the voyage and would set sail on 26th of August, 1768, first travelling to Brazil and then around the southern tip of America, sorry, the southern tip of South America and into the Pacific. Banks would attempt to seize control of the expedition at this time, trying to undermine Cook's leadership and command the crew. He had a weak stomach, though, and would have bouts of seasickness. Pretty difficult to give out commands when you've got a mouthful of spew. Mm. And, yeah, there's... A lot of space out there, you don't, it's a yeah. lot of time to be sick. He also led a shore expedition that led to two of the men on it freezing to death. Oh. And this ended any Where attempt. This in South America. They froze to death in South America. Yeah, like right at the bottom. Right, right at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. They, uh, basically, they went too high up a mountain and uh, then a blizzard came in and then two of them died. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yes. Call back again. This ended the attempt from banks to take control. Uh, but it didn't end any – he did this multiple times where he's just like, I want to take this cutter out. And everyone's like, mm, a bit risky. He's like, screw you. And he kept taking men out. During other expeditions to shore that weren't so deadly, it was noted that Cook would always be on the first vessel to shore and would take great care in avoiding conflict with natives. He would spend a lot of time developing relations with them so that they could trade to get food and water and would work to understand as much as he could about the native tribes of South America. You're right. This did not continue. Oh. The Endeavour made it to Tahiti in April of, 19, of 1769. Nice. And over the next few weeks, they would, prepare to, they would prepare to see the transit of Venus. It would also be the first time that Cook would meet and learn of Polynesian people of the Pacific. Sorry, would meet and learn the language of Polynesian people of the Pacific. While he put effort into learning their language and culture, he ultimately decided that they were noble but simple savages who needed guidance from men of reason, such as himself. Mm. He would come to believe himself to be an expert on native tribes of the Pacific, attempting to continue learning their languages and customs, however would continue to dismiss them as less refined humans. Remember his attitude now, because it does come back to haunt him and his crew later in the story. Mm -hmm. Foreboding. First signs of him being a bastard. Yeah, so there's a lot of 
like the, part of the reason why people find him to be such a polarizing figure yeah. is that he wrote of the people as though he was being like really spending his time to like invest them and yep. invest in understanding and them yep. and, and all this. But then his conclusions are like, yeah, but they're dumb. <laughs> and like, yeah, he, he just doesn't seem to get that like other cultures exist mm. and that. Just because they're not living the same as him or. Yeah. He's like judging them by European standards, yeah. which, you know, we learnt now are a bit dog compared to what is actually reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why he's kind of like the way that he writes about them is like belittling and kind of the way he treats them as well. Because unfortunately, this belief may have been somewhat reinforced by the Tahitian people treating ownership of belongings in a different way to the British. So from what I can understand, a lot of the, and like, I'm no expert on Polynesian. Oh, you're not an expert? No, okay, not an expert on this, but ownership is a different, concept in some of these tribes where like these tribes at the time, I guess I can't speak for now, but ownership wasn't like a thing. Like you didn't own something. Everyone owned it. It belonged to the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you had something, it could be borrowed Mm -hmm. and like move somewhere else or whatever. Like a mower. Yeah. Just like a mower. (laughs) Tahitians would often steal equipment, including on one occasion, some required for the observation of the Venus transit. Cook would be so enraged by this that he took a Tahitian chief hostage at gunpoint to demand the return of the equipment. While the equipment was returned, and this time a feast was held to apologise for the incident, it's important again to remember this later on. Double foreboding. So that's that cultural thing where they're just like, well, what you have is ours, so we want to use it. Yeah. They didn't realise. Yeah, and he just goes like a bit mental. Like there's no reasoning. He's just like- but what is this equipment that they're using to look at the sun? Like, I assume that it's just like telescopes with stuff on them. I don't know. I could, there was like clocks and stuff and like measuring equipment. And it just uh, seems I that, know. you know, they're, they're in the 1700s and they're looking at the sun. Like, yeah. We can't just look at the sun. We can't pull out our sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> we do have sunglasses. Those exist. But we can't just pull out our special little item and yeah. go, I want to have a look at the sun today. I guess they, they still would have had like stained glass and stuff. So maybe stained mm. glass, maybe some know. sort of reflector. I don't know. I know. I I do remember some sort of trick you can do with like a bit of paper to look at an eclipse. Mm. Like you have a bit of paper and poke a hole in it and then you can watch the shadow oh, of yeah. the eclipse or something like that. Yeah. So you don't have to look directly at it. I doubt it. I, I'm going to say it's a bit more fancier than that. Yeah. As it turns out, they didn't do a great job of it. Um, they did do it, but- not held fantastic. a chief at gunpoint. Do they even know what a gun is? Like, do they realise? I'm that sure they a- would. I'm sure they would have okay. if they <laughs> English had been there for long enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So, just not a great way to handle the native people. No. Um, yeah, and like other things were going on with the crew, like being a little bit um, sexual with mm-hmm. the with the locals. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Uh, just a like kind of good vibe between the Tahitians mm-hmm. and the English, but like the the British obviously doing some doing some dirties on them at different times like this. And when they not okay, so they'll be in a bit rough with the yeah yeah right. 
After the transit of Venus was observed, the Endeavour headed south to attempt to find Antarctica, otherwise known as Terra Australis. As we know from our South Pole episode, they weren't the ones to discover it. Instead, the vessel turned for the coast of, of New Zealand, which hadn't yet been fully mapped. Cook and his men would become the first Europeans to communicate with the Maori, or the Maori, as I'm sure I've mispronounced. Mm, that, sounds better. that sounds better. Yeah, I'm sure that Jazz is screaming at me right now, but I'm sorry. I'm too white. This was only accomplished by, uh, with the help of a Tahitian priest who had joined them on the voyage. Despite being able to trade and communicate with the Maori, Cook was again unimpressed with their culture and attitude towards Europeans and would quickly leave. So the Maori were not as welcoming as the Tahitians mm. um, and like would play some of the British's own tricks against them. Um, like just they were trading in a way that was a bit more aggressive than the Tahitians had okay. been and the Europeans were like, how dare they? You know. But they were doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From here, Cook would sail west towards the eastern coastline of Australia. While the Dutch had discovered and mapped the western, southern and northern coasts of the country, as well as Van Diemen's Land, now Tasmania, the eastern coastline was entirely unmapped. Cook would have his first interaction with Aboriginal people end rather poorly. After two Aboriginal men were standing on shore in Botany Bay when a cutter was sent to land. So this is the first time they come into land yeah. on the shore. I feel like I've heard this story. With a lack of communication between the two, resulting in Cook deciding to shoot one of the men on shore with birdshot. Not a great way to start relations mm, off with the no. new people, is it? So essentially, these two men were like standing on the shore and they're like yelling at them. So far, what they'd experienced was that when they came sort of close to shore, the Aborigines had just run off into the bush. Mm-hmm. These two were standing there just like yep. yelling at them. Yep. And so they're like, oh, we can't really communicate with them. So they tried to sh- fire a shot in the air to like scare them off, didn't scare them. So then he goes, I'll just shoot him in the foot. So he just like shoots him in the foot with birdshot. And then obviously they're like, ah, Jesus, and run off. Birdshot's like a bunch of small pellets. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just let me just shoot these people. Hello, I'm the first white man you've ever met. Bang. Bang. <laughs> just crappy behavior. Um, after they disembarked, they named the area Botany Bay due to the unique plants they found there. So that is where we get Botany Bay from. Mm-hmm. The ship would chart the coast moving north and would eventually have a run-in with the Great Barrier Reef, running aground on a shoal near modern-day Cooktown. Where did where they get its name from? Um, I believe it's because that was where they would meet uh, and cook food. Mm. Uh, no, it's because of Captain Cook. Okay. Yeah. Old Jimmy Chef. Um, the ship would require seven weeks' worth of repairs before eventually sailing north, crossing the Torres Strait to Batavia, now Indonesia, and returning home. And they were mapping the whole way? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they did basically the whole eastern seaboard. Yep. Um, all the way up to Cape York. Cape, Cape yes. York? Yeah. Cape York? Yeah. 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 Cape of Good Hope is the bottom of South Af- is bottom of Africa, right? No idea. Cape Horn is South America. It doesn't matter. Cook's journals would be released upon returning to England and he would be praised by the scientific community for his work and would be promoted within the Navy for his success in the voyage, not the least of which was ensuring that none of his men would be affected by scurvy. Just, I just, you just say that like being praised for good work and I just immediately flash back to him shooting yeah. a native at the Praised for his good work. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, get me that chief. Let me hold this gun at his head. Yeah, uh, very different. <laughs> very- yeah. Very different uh, understanding of good work mm. than what we think of today. 
his second voyage. After the success of his first voyage, Cook was selected for a second, this time with the sole purpose of attempting to find the great southern land, Terra Australis. Oh, sorry. When was the fir- when did the first journey get back? How long were they away for? Uh, three years. Okay. That's not that long. Mm. I mean, it is. Could you imagine now, like, oh, I'm going to go to England. I'll be back in three years. He had a wife and kids. Yeah. So they're just, like, sitting at home for three years, like, Gee, I hope Dad's not dead. Yeah, like that's just yeah. Oh, I'm gonna go for a, a work trip. Where are you going? Oh, England. It's gonna be maybe three, three and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> he comes home. He spends like half a year there, and he's like, uh, I'm gonna go get- off on another voyage. Yeah. <laughs> After the success of his first voyage, Cook was selected for a second. This time, with the sole purpose of attempting to find the Great Southern Land, Terra Australis, Antarctica. Yes, yeah. that was theorized to be on the South Pole. So basically, they're like. Well, there's land on the North Pole or like ice on the North Pole. There must be ice on the South Pole Mm. or land on the South Pole. Um, They actually thought that it was going to be like abundant with resources. Like it was just going to be a beautiful land that they could get on. and covered in ice. They didn't think that at all. He would this time captain the HMS Resolution. The trip would be a lot less eventful than the first. However, Cook and his crew set the record at the time for the furthest south achieved by an expedition at 71 degrees, 10 minutes south on 31st of January, 1774. The crew would also sweep the Pacific again, once again visiting Tahiti and taking a man named Omai to be a guide in the Pacific. They also explored areas of South America and made another visit to New Zealand. Upon arrival- shop is like going back and forth. Yeah, there's actually a map that yeah. shows like where his three voyages went. And it's just kind of like- Back home. The visual helps, so I don't know how that's going to work for people listening. <laughs> I think the the audio helped. You notice it was a doodle-loop as yep. they were going right and a doodle-loop as they went left. Okay. Yeah, so. Yep. All right. <laughs> you might have to post that picture. No, nah, not putting a map up nah, anywhere. Put, put the picture up. So when we, when, so stop, rewind 30 seconds, get the uh, map out and listen to Aaron's. My audio journey. Uh, audio journey mm. as you trace your finger over the journeys that are on the map. Uh, it, was, it was a soundscape. That's what it was. Yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> Upon arrival back in England, Cook was promoted to the rank of post captain, given an honorary retirement from the Royal Navy and was posted to the Greenwich Hospital as an officer. He preferred to be an active duty role, but by this stage, he had gained a, bit, a fair bit of fame and notoriety. I was going to say fat. He'd gained, gained a, a bit, bit of, of fat. fat. Just porked out on Tahitian coconuts. Um, He'd gained a bit of uh, fame and notoriety for his exploits over the last two voyages, and not just within the Navy. He'd been made a fellow of the Royal Society and was awarded the Copley Medal for outstanding achievements in research in any branch of science for not losing a single man to scurvy in his second voyage. Well done. Mm. Well done, Captain. He was doing the 17... Post-Captain. Post-Captain. I love how it's Captain. Post-Captain. Captain. Post-captain. Like, they just didn't have another no, name for it. <laughs> just, uh, you're, you're now after-captain. Yeah, you're post-captain. Look, look at me. I am the after-captain now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like how grunge existed yeah. and then post-grunge. Post-grunge. Yeah. There's no name for it. It's just... Yeah. He was doing the 1700s equivalent of the talk show circuit, dining oh. with the high society and important figures from the British nobility. However, for Cook, it wasn't enough. He wanted to be back on the sea. Mm. He the was sea. a sea man, you after could hear all. That. Ocean. Fish piss. Oh. <laughs> you ever think about that? Nope. Uh, why don't you stop it? Because when I was on the reef recently, 
Um, again, You're just swimming in fish piss. Not, not in touch with the common man. Mm. I was swimming on the Great Barrier Reef recently. And you see a lot of fish taking dumps. Like you're swimming in a pack of fish. You've There's owned a fish. fish. Dump. Yeah. Fish dumping all the time. Bit different than when you're like, like swimming in it. And it like dangles out yeah. the little bottom and it yep. stays there for a long time. Yeah. They're constantly dumping. Yeah. Fish be dumping. Dump trucks. <laughs> and you know what? Eats fish dump. What? Do you know what eats fish dump? Other fish? No. What? Like crabs. Oh. Prawns. Yeah. Crustaceans are filthy, yeah. hey? And then people eat them. So, yeah. Yeah. Yum. Lobster's good. Mm. Yeah, well, lobster is just processed fish dump. I watched a video of a lobster. <laughs> Gross. Watched a video of a lobster being like a pet the other day. Mm. They're weird animals, eh? They looked like they're not from this con- this country. They look like they're not from this world. Why? Why? Why do you think that? Because like they just look weird. You know, there's like eight legged things like crawling around. There's a giant tail and like all these like defensive stuff and these huge pincers on the front. You have look you, at it. Have you seen a mantis shrimp? Yes, mm, mantis shrimp are cool. Is the mantis shrimp the one that makes like the fastest moving thing in yes. the world? Yeah. Yeah, they create actual like a little vacuum yeah. water because it's so fast. And they're super loud too, aren't they? Well, yeah, when they're hitting stuff, they are because yeah, it creates a little vacuum. It actually creates light as well because it's yeah. so quick. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Look up the mantis shrimp. I'm going to have to, that's going to have to be a link tree. Little mantis shrimp thing in the link tree, I think. Live mantis shrimp coming to the Cheeky Tail store. So. Yeah. <laughs> NFT. NFT. Live mantis oh, shrimp. Live NFT. shrimp. <laughs> You're going to sell mantis shrimp? Yeah. Okay. Let's just be shrimp dealers. An expedition to explore the theorized Northwest Passage was planned, and Ooh. Cook would volunteer for the captaincy. The Northwest Passage? Do you know what the Northwest Passage is? It's the passage to the Northwest. Mm. It's the passage over the north of Canada. Yeah, that's what I said, the Northwest. Yep. Good job. The idea was that the British wanted to get a different way into the Atlantic. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't the- want to go all the way down south and then right. all the way back Where up. Where the Titanic sunk, yeah. That was in the Northern Atlantic. Oh, okay. So hang on. They wanted to get from the Atlantic to the Pacific, I should say. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Now, now that you've said it correctly, I'm following you. Yes. I mean, I guess you could go the other way if you wanted to. <laughs> Third and final voyage. Mm. On the HMS? Resolution. Mm. What does that stand for? Her, his or Her Majesty's Royal Ship. The HMRS. HMS is just- Majesty's. His Majesty's Ship. Yeah. Yeah. That was close enough. While the public-facing goal of the expedition was to return the Tahitian man that they'd picked up on the first ride, Omai, oh ah. back to his homeland. So they got to do the Northwest Passage via Tahiti. The public-facing <laughs> goal. Oh, okay. Sorry. Was to find the way. Uh, so the real goal was to find a way north past Canada to find an alternate, an alternative trade route between Britain and the Pacific. By the way, this bloke's just like in Tahiti, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to come to England?" And he's like, "Yeah, right." And what, then just, what, is, what is England? Just spends five. Five years yeah. in this entirely foreign land. Like the only person of his- Yeah. Can you imagine just coming across- well, I wouldn't say race, but yeah. Well, he yeah, is. he would yeah. have been the only yeah. person of his race. Like- Yeah. Yeah. Of his culture. Yeah. Um, really weird. Cook was also tempted by the reward on offer for finding the passage. £20,000. $50 million Big in books. today's money. Big bucks. I did say that he wanted to make bank- Mm-hmm. That is some serious bank. So yeah, he wants to make the smackaroos. What year is this? 1776. Okay, the Endeavour was no longer in commission then. It was decommissioned in 1774. There you go. Which was when they set the lowest, uh, the, the further south record mm. earlier. The voyage would begin in July 1776 and would start with dropping off Omai to Tahiti. From there in 17, in, it says 1978, so 200 years wow. later. Wow. 
From there in 1778. Yeah, 200 years. Woo. 1778. Oh, okay. Cook would travel north to attempt to find the Northwest packet. Package? Package? Yep. They left something there for him. Yep. Bloody Star Trek. <laughs> Mate, Star Trek's not losing it. It's bloody toll. Okay. Here's, bloody a, toll. here's a Cheeky Tales they, top tip. They got to go find the package toll just fell off the back of the truck. Cheeky Tales top tip. Don't use toll. Toll are terrible. Use anyone else. Cheeky Tales top tip. Cheeky Tales top tip. Number one, don't toll use terrible. toll. This show does not support toll. Unless they sponsor us, <laughs> yeah. in which case Toll is the only company that will get your package next there on ep- time and safe. Next, next week's episode, sponsored by Toll. You know what? You I don't like Toll so much, I would turn down their sponsorship. <gasps> what? Yeah. You, would, you, you wouldn't shill out to them? This is a Cheeky Tales hot take. Yeah. I would not shill out to Toll. <laughs> Any other company I'm willing to shill. Uh, Even if you're Toll DHL? affiliated. Yeah. <laughs> FedEx. This episode brought to you on time and safely by FedEx. <laughs> and that's a free one, FedEx. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. That was just for free. They were finding the Northwest, yep. Northwest yep. package. Northwest package. So 1778, they're finding, they're trying to find the Northwest package. Passage. I know. On the way, he would discover the Hawaiian Islands. Oh, oh so they've been like in and out all these years and they've never discovered Hawaii. Well, you got to remember that Hawaii's in the middle. Yeah. So- like you picture the rest of the surely Pacific. At, surely at one point someone's accidentally gone off course or got blown off course and they've just stumbled across Hawaii or well, any of the other atolls out there. Apparently not. It's the mm. first time someone had been there. And he'd become the, f- well, he and his men would become the first Europeans to contact the native Hawaiians there. Landfall was made in January 1778, making initial contact and noting that the natives spoke a Polynesian language that was familiar to them from other places in the South Pacific. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, apparently like quite a lot of places- have very similar languages in the Polynesian area. Obviously, a common ancestor then. From what I can understand, a theory for like a lot of the Polynesian nations is they all sort of just like got on boats and went around. Yeah. Well, if you've watched Moana, you'd, you'd know that. Uh, historically accurate uh, documentary Moana. Mm. Yes. Um, that did happen. Mm. What yeah. can I say except you're welcome? Fantastic movie. Mm. That movie's so good. Very good. Yeah. Um, you just keep stumping me with all these- Sorry, like, boy. <laughs> Disney facts. Disney facts. <laughs> uh, Moana merchandise coming to the Cheeky Duster. No, we do not want to be so sued by Disney. Sorry, Papa Disney. No, we, we're, not, we're not selling anything that has any of your IPs on it. Yeah, I feel like they're not the kind of company that you can be cheeky with. No. Disney. I would like Dastardly. to continue watching my Marvel movies. Don't come after us. <laughs> Don't ban me from them. Your Disney account just gets banned specifically yeah. from there. <laughs> no. All your DVDs, they come in and just scratch them. Scratch them. Go to buy a ticket at the cinema. Sorry, sir. It says here you can't buy a ticket to this movie. No. <laughs> Doctor Strange is only three weeks away. Three weeks away. So we can tell it's you with Sonny's on. Uh, and a fake mustache. From here, the expedition went north. So leaving Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Went north and eventually found the HMS Resolution in Nuke, Nootka Sound. Nootka Sound on Vancouver Island for a month. During this time, he and the crew would trade with the native Yakut people, however relations were at times strained, with the native people wanting higher quality items for their trade than others in the Pacific. So quite a lot of the time, they would just trade like iron nails, and that was it. These people were like, no, we'd like some actual items of value, please. Oh, so for what, what purpose? What do they- So they need food, water. Yeah, but what, why iron nails? Because it was cheap for them to make and- Yeah. Kind of like- very simple stuff for them to get. 
During their time in the Northwest that year, Cook would map most of the North American Northwest coastline, along with completing the mapping of Alaska and close some, gap, some of the gaps in mapping remaining in the Northern Pacific. By August, the expedition had hit sea ice at 70 degrees 44 minutes north, and Cook had begun to feel the effects of a stomach ailment. Oh. Got a sore little tummy. He got, he got a sore tum-tum. This explorer's got a sore tummy. Oh, no. He got scurvy. <laughs> well, no, he didn't. How old was he here? Uh, what are we in? We're in 70, mm, 78. 78. He was born. He was born in. 12? 1728. So 50. Okay. That's pretty old yeah. when you think about it. Not that old. But- pretty old for the time. Frustrated by their lack of progress in finding the Northwest Passage and feeling the effects of his sickness, Cook decided they needed to head south to wait out the winter. From some reports, Cook was beginning to act irrationally, forcing the crew to eat walrus meat which they had previously said was inedible. Oh, no, he's gone senile. <laughs> he's gone a bit bonkers. Yeah, he's got, he's got the dementias. Yeah, so they reckon that part of this was that he, he'd basically spent all of his time since his first expedition being told how brilliant he was and, like, mm. doing really well and, and got a bit of an inflated ego. And now he's failing. He's Yeah, so he's, yeah. like, getting a bit pissy. Yeah. He's got a sore tum-tum and he's just like, No, I'm the best explorer. Eat walrus meat. And everyone's like, Okay, Jimmy, calm down. In 1779, Cook returned to Hawaii with the HMS Resolution and made landfall in, and I'm sorry, Kailakakua Bay in Hawaii yeah, Island. You nailed that. I didn't. That's exactly what that bay is called. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. Kailakakua. Yep. Kailakakua. It just so happened that the ship's arrival coincided with the Maki. I'm sorry again, Makahiki Harvest Festival. Yeah, nailed that too. Makiki. <laughs> John Savage, Mahi- Hawaiian language <laughs> expert. <laughs> No, you're the expert, man. You're nailing these pronunciations. The form of the HMS resolution happened to resemble some of the artifacts that the Hawaiians used to form part of the season of worship. And along with the clockwise navigation of the islands before landfall, so the ship went around the Mm. island clockwise a few times, resembling the clockwise processions of the festival around the islands, meaning that the expedition was met favorably when they arrived. There's just like a couple of things that they did. So they've accidentally pretended like a god. Yeah. <laughs> Some people theorise that the Hawaiians were like, oh, this guy's the god that we're worshipping. Mm. Other people are like, mm, don't be so naive. They probably just were like, oh, they're doing stuff that kind of looks like what we do. So mm. they're just kind of assuming that they're being kind of, nice. Yeah. 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 Um, after eight weeks of trade and interaction, however, things had changed. The, true, the two groups were not getting along. And so it wasn't a great shame for both when the British decided to leave. Who did you shoot in the foot? No one. But there was a bit of infighting and, like, they just weren't getting along. You know, it's very typical. Like, when when they were- When you have a guest that overstays their welcome and you want them to leave. Yeah, shoot them in the foot. Start nitpicking. Um, (laughs) Like, when they were doing this first voyage, one of the pieces of guidance they got given was just please don't shoot them about the natives. Like, Mm. don't get into fights. Don't shoot them. Try and be nice. Um, so the fact that they had to say that kind of says that there was a history of not doing that. Unfortunately, as they left, the resolution was damaged shortly afterwards and had to have repairs completed to its foremast and so returned to Kayakakua Bay, Kealakalua Bay. <laughs> this was not received well by the natives. Mm. They didn't do their circling, the yeah. clockwise circling. Also, they were kind of pissy at them and they're like, oh, they're gone, good, and then they, and come, they come back. back yeah. Yeah, I'd be pissy too. Get out of my house. Oh, you're back. Earlier in this trip, 
and this is not related to the Hawaiian visit, but in Tonga, um, the natives were stealing items from the British. Ooh. And Cook, yeah, um, uh, Cook was being not himself in the way that he re- re- retaliated. Um, they would like severely beat the Tongans. Um, he'd get them like in a boat, put them in the water and tell them to swim back to shore and then just beat them with oars and stuff while they were swimming, cutting crosses into people's arms. Like just not the kind of stuff that he was known for. Mm-hmm. He was known for being more of like a polite guest. Yep. And his men were like, yeah, this guy's starting to become a bit unhinged, hey. I'm lose it. So as with Tahitians earlier- um, the Hawaiians were starting to steal items from the British, largely due to their culture, again, of having a different view of ownership. Possibly due to his current state of health and the inflation of his ego by his status back home, Cook had become much more violent on this voyage, as I said earlier, towards the natives in such situations. He's just an old man. He's just had enough of this shit. Yeah. Grumpy old dude. One voyage too many. Mm. As tensions raised with quarrels breaking out between the British and the natives during this day, partially caused by the theft of wood by the British from a burial ground used by the natives. Yes. So they're not doing themselves any favours. they're not, are they? Eventually, a small cutter was stolen from the HMS Resolution on one evening. So cutter being small vessel. Yeah. And the following day, Cook decided to use one of his old tricks to retrieve it. Held the chief at gunpoint. Yes, he did. Oh, really? (laughs) On the 14th of February, 1779... Cook marched onto the island in an attempt to kidnap the king of the island. The king, whose name was far too difficult for me to attempt to pronounce, initially thinking he was being invited to visit the ship, went along willingly, until one of his wives understood the plot unfolding and pleaded with the king not to go. As more and more natives arrived at the shore where Cook and his men had the king captive, the king understood himself what was happening and sat down in the sand and refused to move. Cook and his men attempted to manhandle the king towards the cutters to head back to the ship. Nobody's quite sure how the fight broke out. However, one did, involving many men surrounding Cook himself. Cook would be hit on the head with a club by a native chief and then fatally stabbed in the chest by villagers, ironically by a knife the British had traded to the Hawaiians weeks earlier. As the remaining British retreated to the ships to fire upon the villagers with the ship's guns, the natives took turns stabbing Cook's body before eventually burning it in a roasting pit and burying the remains in caves scattered around the island. Four chiefs shared his heart. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, don't mess around with islanders, dude. brutal. Yeah. And, like, the Hawaiians aren't the ones that are known for being, like, the most brutal Mm. in the Pacific. I'm pretty sure that's the Maori. So, yeah. Yeah, they've got the, like, yeah, the dudes and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, they don't muck muck around. They, like, burned his body- and then just took it Chopped to different it parts yeah. around the island, yeah. This would mark the end of the famous explorer's life in the most brutal of fashions. Cook's subordinates would quickly leave the island and would make further attempts to complete the Northwest Passage, Northwest Passage. but on failing again due to sea ice, they would return home in 1780. The news of Cook de- Cook's death had actually beaten them there, and all of Europe was shocked by his death, mm. not least of which his wife and children. Cook's children would die without any of them having children themselves. There are no descendants of Captain Cook. Ultimately, Cook's legacy is somewhat mixed. On one hand, he was a famed explorer who developed and perfected many techniques to accurately map much of the Pacific and would contribute greatly to the improvement of life at sea with his work on scurvy. 
On the other hand, his brutal treatment and dismissive nature towards native populations would set the tone and surely influence the treatment of natives in the region by the colonising nations of the 18th and 19th centuries. So there you go. So was he a bastard? <sighs> Later years, Cook was a bastard. Mm, bit of a grumpy old man. Yeah, by the sounds of it, that last voyage, he was just kind of like... Maybe he was over it. Yeah, I think he was he was old and over it, and I think a little bit up himself. Mm, yeah. So he'd sort of been hearing how he was this brewing explorer. He gets over there, and the natives are just kind of like messing with him and his crew, mm. and he's like, nah, F this. I'll show you who's boss. I'm a big British boy. Let me show you my big British gun. Um, you got bonked on the head. And then, yeah, he um, yeah, he tried to mess with the Hawaiians, and oh, boy, did they mess with him. And, yeah, um, it's a bit sad because if he hadn't gone on that voyage, he'd probably be known as, like, the guy that did his best to understand the natives yeah. and, like, yeah. tried to have good relations with them and stuff. But this last voyage, he goes on it, just a bastard to just about everyone he meets. <laughs> Just beating people with oars and, like, taking kings and stuff hostage. Just bonkers. Yeah, right. And like I said, like, man, they didn't treat natives well in the Pacific after that, did they? I don't, I'm not too sure of the history after that. but They sure didn't treat them well in Australia, that's for sure. No. But, um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, he did. T- like you said, he's done so much more than just land and Botany Bay. Yeah. I didn't realise how important he was to, like, Cartography. Yeah, like, yeah, modern maps and... Hmm. And, like, they said that he they were using maps from Canada and Australia for 200 years. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he discovered that New Zealand was... Well, he white person discovered that, in, that New Zealand was two islands. Oh, okay. People didn't know that beforehand. Yeah, right. Um, they actually thought that New Zealand was part of Antarctica. It's nowhere near it. No. But before he got there, they were like, well, it must be like an appendage of yeah, okay. Antarctica. Yeah, right. So that's why he did like the full map. Mm-hmm, he goes, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not. Was he the one that discovered Hobbiton? No. Oh. Uh, that was John Hobbiton. Okay. Mm. John Hobbiton. Mm. That's the joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. No, it's interesting. Like, um, learnt none of that in school. No. <laughs> it's actually like, Tons of that I just didn't know. I knew Captain Cook as the guy that came and explored the eastern part of Australia. Yeah. And I remember learning like way later that he didn't discover Australia. They already knew it was there. Mm. He just Map- mapped, mapped the eastern it. bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like even that is something that we don't get taught properly. So, what's 1770 then? Is that the first fleet landing? I no. Think- first fleet landed in, ugh, I can't remember, somewhere and then Sydney Harbour. Yeah, okay. Um, they landed somewhere further north, I want to say, and then, or maybe further south, and they were like, oh, this place isn't as nice as Captain Cook told us it was. Mm. And then they went further north or south and found Sydney Harbour and were like, this place is pretty nice. Yeah. And that's what they set up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's actually like Circular Key is like uh, where they first landed. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, well, the, uh, like I said, I looked up the Endeavour earlier. Mm. And they, um, they reckon they found it off the coast of uh, Rhode Island. Oh, in the US. Yeah, Newport Harbour near Goat Island. Okay. So, like, and that was only the third of February this year. They reckon. Oh right. Mm. Okay. Yep. Because I kept thinking it was the Endurance, which was Ernest Shackleton's ship. Yeah, that was recently found too. Wasn't yeah, it? that was Antarctica. Yeah, it's mm. been found off the US state of Rhode Island. 
Well, Australian there you go. researchers said on Thursday, the 3rd of February, 2022. There you go. Anyway, um, yeah. That's it. Thanks for the suggestion, Jazz. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope I did it justice. Does she, she Captain Cook fan? Does she know? No. She just. <laughs> no. The, the, she tagged me in it and it was a story of him being like killed by the natives after he oh, tried okay. to kidnap their king. And she's like, hey. This is interesting. This guy's a bastard. Yeah. Right. I was like, yeah, a bit of one. Yeah. So. Um, bit of a, yeah, a bit of a quick end, quick demise to his. Yeah. Quick and brutal too. Yeah. Like he literally goes ashore. Thinking he's going to do what he's always done. Yep, and that's it. And then Nick Minute. <laughs> Nick Minute. Nick Minute. <laughs> I'm going to steal this king. Nick Minute. But, mm. um, yeah, that's that. Anyway, um, you're next. You got an idea? No. Well, you should. <laughs> I'm going to have to come up with an idea. And fast. Mm. Um, if you- oh, It's going to be a mystery. Ooh. No, no, it's, it's a oh. mystery of what it is. Not, okay. It's going to be a mystery. <laughs> I could do a mystery. I don't know. I'll have to find out. Yeah. If you do Harold Holt, make sure you get Kirsty to listen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yep. the first Prime Minister of Australia, according to... <laughs> no. Um, that was Edmund Barton. Got her. She's not going to listen. No. This would be the bloody episode she listened to. I bet you be it is. And you're just... Trump. Yep. No, nah, actually, she'll probably listen to the last one where you kept talking about how much you love multiple wives. Ah, uh, yes. You're feral. Yep. Anyway. Savage, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like a little bit more information on uh, what we talk about, we put up some photos on our socials at Cheeky Tales Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, There'll be a map of all the journeys on there this week. Yep. You can week. listen and read along as I make the whoop, whoop, whoop noises <laughs> to describe. <laughs> Good job smacking the mic. Sorry. Um. Yeah, uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe, join in the conversation if you'd like to, um, yeah. or start the conversation, that'd yeah. be nice. Um, um, I should have an episode written out by this time, but send us in your recommendation and I'll do oh, it. Oh, John. <laughs> oh, no. You need podcastideas.docx, uh, yeah. like I've got. Okay. Yeah. I think um, I've got some of mine on yours. Yeah, I have filled some of yours yeah. in. Um, I actually realise that um, old mate Reese. Our, mm. our British mate. Yes, shout out, Reese. Yeah, shout out. He, uh, this um, is Australian history. Well, not really. It wasn't really that much of Australian history this week, was it? It's, he's a British guy. It's still kind so, of British history, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he suggested Amelia Earhart. Oh, yeah. And I went to put that on my part of podcastideas.docx mm. and realised that you already had it in yours. You wanted to do the story of Amelia Earhart. Yes, my son has been asking me to do go. that one for a while because he, he uh, read a book on it. Yeah. Maybe do the Bermuda Triangle. Anyway, let's not podcast ideas. No, let's not brainstorm this. Um, yeah, share us with a friend if you can. Um, it'd be good to get the name out there and share us with a friend listening. who you think is a bastard. <laughs> share us with a friend who thinks he's a really good explorer. Yep. Share us with a friend who loves cartography. Um, yeah, it would be really appreciated if you could um, get the name out there, get a few more people listening. Um, we'd love to get that FedEx sponsorship. Um, Alan's lollies. Total sponsorship. I will not accept a toll sponsorship. You will. You'll, you'll cave. Look, they'd have to come. They, if they come and knock and Aaron's just going to be They'd like, have to oh, come yeah. with a pretty bloody good offer, let me tell you. Uh, just reliable deliveries for the rest of your life. They can't guarantee that. <laughs> and with that disparaging of an international company, um, it has been wonderful bringing you this tale. We will see you next time. Adieu. Goodbye.